This edition of Piper Hooligan was pre-recorded. Good morning, and welcome to Piper Hooligan. For the next hour or so, I'd like to invite you to grab your cup of coffee, tea, or caffeine-free A&W diet root beer, if that's your beverage of choice, and settle in for the 12th episode of The Return of Fiber Hooligan. For those of you who are wondering who the heck I am, I am your host, Benjamin Levesay. I am also the CEO of X-Rex, home of X-Rex Books and Stitches Expos. My pronouns are he and him, and I'm broadcasting from my home here in Harrisburg, South Dakota. If you are tuning in for the first time, Fiber Hooligan is a podcast dedicated to bring you interviews with the best of the fiber arts and makers world, including experts, business people, and designers in the crafts of knitting, crochet, spinning, dyeing, weaving, sewing, quilting, embroidery, as well as anything else I think is interesting. I want to welcome the new listeners today. Thank you for tuning in and trying out the show. I hope you enjoy it, and I can't wait for us to get to know each other better. And of course, I'd like to welcome back our Fiber Hooligan listeners who used to tune into the original show many years ago. Your ongoing support means so very much to me. Okay, I want to get right to the interview today because I'm excited. My guest today is Adela Colvin of Lola Bean Yarn. Adela's pronouns are she and her. Lola Bean Yarn Company, formerly Adela's Crochet Cottage, began five years ago with a single stitch that quickly turned into a thousand stitches as Adela contemplated on what she would do to pass the time while her husband was away in Afghanistan. Adela first learned to crochet and knitting soon followed. She became obsessed with all the different colors, textures, and compositions of the various yarns she came across. One day she came across a YouTube video of something, someone dyeing yarn and she thought to herself, hey, I should try this. So she did. Dying came very naturally to Adela, and she was encouraged by her friends and family to start her own business and tell her hand-dyed creations. The rest is history. After the birth of their daughter, Adela realized that she had much more to live for and be grateful about. She decided to rebrand her company in honor of her little princess, in hopes that in one day she would be able to pass something down to her daughter and keep the legacy alive. As a woman of color, Adela wants to show her daughter and hopefully inspire others that they can achieve success regardless of circumstances. Adela looks forward to growing and expanding her brand, not only for her daughter, but for the future generations of independent fiber artists. I'm really so happy she could be on the show today. Adela joins us this morning from her home in Groveton, Georgia. Good morning, Adela, and welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, it, it is really wonderful. I, 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 you know, I, I think you know that I've become a fan over time. Um, you know, obviously I knew who you were, but there's a whole difference between listening to people or seeing people walk around and reading their blog posts or, or and then seeing things like that that wonderful thing you and uh, Shelby and Gigi do on Instagram that just makes me <laughs> smile every time I tune in. Oh, I'm glad. You guys, that's a big following you guys got out there. It's a, it's a, it's wonderful to listen to. Well, I guess, and I guess I, and we'll get to that later. We forgot Jimmy. Jimmy jumps in too, and we'll talk about Jimmy at another time. But yeah, Jimmy's okay. <laughs> Jimmy's okay. <laughs> uh, so, so how are things in Georgia? Hot, triple digits um, are expected today and throughout the week. So, um, we're just you know doing our social distance thing and staying as cool as we can. <laughs> Good for you. That's fantastic. And and the little one, how's the little one? She is she's great. She's growing and 
curious and asking questions and climbing on things and doing what little people do. Okay, well, that's good. All right, well, let, let's get right into the interview because I, I want I want to share as much of you as you're willing to share with us to the Fiber Hooligan audience. So, big question. Who are you and where did you come from? <laughs> uh, I am a 39-year-old uh, Hispanic and African-American woman born in Florida, traveled quite a bit in my younger years as I am uh, an Air Force brat. Both parents were uh, in the military, so I've lived in places like Oklahoma, Texas, Alabama, North Carolina, but ultimately settled down in New York. When my mom left the service, um, that's where she decided to Uh, you know, start her civilian life because she was uh, born uh, and raised in New York City. So you figure from age maybe 10 or 11 till about 30, uh, I resided in uh, the Bronx, New York. <laughs> so for all practical purposes, you know, you, you you were raised in, you know, I mean, yes, it's you, you bumped around when you were when you were younger, but, you know, you're you're from New York, right? I mean, you would if somebody asked you, your gut reaction would be, "Oh, I'm from New York, right?" Oh, absolutely. You know, I I think a lot, my, my formative you know years uh, I spent there. So, if I'm really excited or really angry, you'll you'll hear the New York accent come out. Um, certain words that I say, certain things that I do, I am I am very much still uh, a, a a Bronx girl, even though I now reside in Georgia. <laughs> Well, I, I think your house, you grew up also speaking Spanish in your house, correct? Yes. Uh, my, my mother is uh, of Puerto Rican descent. Uh, she was born here in the States, uh, but my grandparents were, you know, born and raised on the island. And my dad is African-American, and he's from North Carolina, the Southport-Wilmington area. So, you know, there it, it was a, a dual household. You know, we had a little bit of each uh, you know, some sub, some Spanish customs, some black customs, American customs. It was a nice blend of, um, you know, food, music, language, uh, and and I think I I picked up on a lot of it. I'm trying to pass those things down to you know my kids. So um, yeah, there was there was dual everything in my house. Oh, it sounds it sounds wonderful. The reason is, you know, of course, I've heard you probably much more than you've heard me by tuning into your Instagram thing. And I don't think I've ever seen you kind of go off in Spanish. I've seen you, you know, go off just a touch in, you in English. You know Spanish, my relationship with Spanish and, you know, I love who I am. I love my heritage. Um, but there there are some issues there. While I, I, I can speak it, I do speak it. Um, a lot of times I was, I was actually forced to learn it because while I heard my mother speak Spanish and as a child, that's usually where you pick up your language, um, you know, from listening to like those in your household, my mother did speak more English than she did Spanish. But in the summertime, um, she would send me to my grandmother's house and my grandmother spoke zero English. So, you know, here I was predominantly, you know, speaking English, and my grandmother's only speaking Spanish. You know, we, we're, we're going to have to figure something out. And, um, you know, eventually over time, you know, I did learn the language. Um, I wouldn't call it uh, 
you know, the textbook Spanish, you know, it's a little different. Uh, the dialect is a little different. Some of the words um, that you may hear, like me and my family and a lot of other people of Puerto Rican descent who, like, now reside in the States use, um, you know, people from from other places where Spanish is the uh, predominant language don't even understand half of those words sometimes. But um, I, ge- I genuinely speak it when I'm mad, like when I'm yelling at Jimmy, and English just doesn't cut it, you know. Okay, then we, we bring out the Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, so the thing is, yes, you do. I just haven't seen it yet. That's, this is what I wanted to know. Okay, I just, you know, because mm-hmm. so I think that happens every summer. Okay, so there you are from New York. And, um, and, and, and so you've grown up, and, and what did you do? I mean, you, you didn't uh, grow up in become like a dyer right out of high school because no one does that you know maybe yeah. maybe your, your daughter but maybe that's not going to happen that didn't happen for you what were you doing um you know uh, after you know you were kind of out of school what, what was the what was the thing you were doing i worked for a surgical supply company so i did um a lot of like medical type billing and coding um, sold products and services to nursing home facilities and adult care centers um, throughout the five boroughs uh, and, and some of Jersey as well. But that's what I did. I, I, you know, coordinated deliveries of medical supplies to patients and hospitals and did that for a long time before I moved to Georgia. So I want to say I started there when I was maybe 19 and, um, was there up until I made the move to Georgia. All right. Well, let's talk about your your move to Georgia because you didn't get up one day and decide to go from New York City with all of its restaurants to a little place in Georgia where I think you once told me the best restaurant in in town was the Cracker Barrel. I think that's what you told me. Um, (laughs) I I think there must have been a motivation there. So why don't you tell the, uh, the, uh, the listeners today what your motivation was and how that all happened. Uh, the move to Georgia uh, was actually sparked by uh, my husband, Jimmy. Well, he wasn't my husband then. We were dating. But um, we actually, believe it or not, a lot of people crack up when they hear this, we went to the same um, elementary school, the same middle school. We had the same circle of friends, lived in the same neighborhood. Um, he's only one year above me, but we did not know each other. We don't know how it happened. Um, it, it, we still, I'm like, you know, we start talking about our teachers. Yeah, I had that teacher. Me too. Like, it, it's just the weirdest thing. Um, and one day on a, a mutual friend's Facebook post, we uh, started talking to one another. And that led to, like, more talking, which led to, uh, you know, dating. And that was long distance for a while because he, he was already here in Georgia while I was in New York. Um he somehow managed to persuade me to marry him. I agreed. And because his job was uh, here in Georgia and he needed to work out of the military installation that we live next to, which is Fort Gordon, it just made more sense for me to um, pick up and come down here versus, you know, him go up there. So that that that's what – uh, led me to Georgia, the land of the Golden Pantry and the Cracker Barrel. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and uh, you know, and and I know that there's something real between you and Jimmy. You can you just see it when you see it, and you know, I, I get it, and uh, it, that's real. It, it, but there's that had to be culture shock. I mean, 
compared to where you've been and all the options, you know, and all the people. Oh, and, and, and the diversity as well. I mean, it, it had to be culture shock for you. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> just, well, the landscape for one, you know, when you come from the city, you're used to big buildings and not a lot of greenery, uh, very crowded, lots of people, very busy, very fast-paced. Um, so when I got down here, the uh, lack of diversity, certain things that you grow accustomed to, um, maybe eating or buying when you do your grocery shopping or the types of languages and people you encounter throughout your day-to-day life in New York City was, is, is non-existent down here. So I kind of had to adjust to that, and I was so used to the hustle and bustle of New York City you know, when I moved down here, there was none of that. And Jimmy would often tell me we'd hop in the car to go drive to, uh, you know, Walmart or wherever we were going at the time. And he's like, slow down. Where are you in a rush to go? You know, I'd get to, like, a, a light. And I'm like, what's taking this light so long? He's like, we're only going to Walmart. Like, you know, chill out, slow down. So I had to learn how to um, – you know, slow my pace a little bit. Everybody's not in a rush. You know, you go to check out in the supermarket and uh, the the ladies, how are you? And, oh, what you cooking? And I'm looking at her like, come on, lady, I got places to go. And my husband's like, no, Adela, we're nice down here. We do a little small talk. Like, it's okay. Slow down. Um, and once I learned how to do that, things got a little a little easier for me. But in the beginning, it was definitely, um, it was hard. It was a hard transition. Oh, that's just it's 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 fun. I just think that's that's amazing. But the transition got worse for you. I mean, and, and please um, don't tell the listeners about that because I mean that's really what eventually led you to um, you know getting the fiber arts. But you know, it, not only the, the huge culture shock of that, but then your world got you know even smaller. Um, so yeah, please talk. Tell us about it. So. I moved down here, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting acclimated to, you know, my environment. And shortly after I got down here, <clears throat> my husband's job um, required him to go overseas to Afghanistan and teach for six months. So it went from, you know, uh, being down here, dealing with that culture shock, but at least I had him, right? That's my best friend, my my fiance at the time, because we weren't married yet, to, you know, him being sent overseas to um, teach. So now I'm down here by myself, which was uh, quite the the experience. There was a lot of sofa sitting and Netflix watching and crying and self-pity. Um, it, 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 was, it was pretty hard. <laughs> it was pretty oh, I mean, hard. It, just sounds, it just sounds so lonely. I mean, it really does. It was, it was, it, it, it really was, but um, I think what kind of got me through it, aside from, you know, where my journey uh, ultimately wound up taking me was, you know, when you're from New York City, you're all about minding your business, right? You're not, like, here, everybody says hello to everybody, and I'm sure people thought I was really rude, because they'd be like, hello, and I'd look at them like they were, you know, she's nuts, I don't know her, why is she talking to me, right? But that's that New Yorker, you keep to yourself, you mind your business, you go where you're going. So, you know, I was kind of used to, like, keeping to myself, um, you know, but not having, like, the friends and the family, like, at the ready. Uh, it, it, it it was hard, but, you know, I managed. 
Well, you did eventually not keep to yourself uh, in kind of a rare encounter, and uh, that led to big things for you. Can can we talk about that? We can. Um, so we had a next-door neighbor. She has since moved, but at the time she uh, lived next door, and her name was Bonnie. And Bonnie was in her late 60s, early 70s. She was a retired principal from Battle Creek, Michigan. And um, Jimmy would sometimes mow her lawn for her, and they would kind of look out for each other. If one was traveling, they'd keep an eye on each other's house, you know, that type of thing. So she was always, you know, very sweet, very nice lady. And she knew that Jimmy was going off to Afghanistan. So we both happened to be walking to the front of our houses and checking our mailboxes at the same time, and she said hello, and she said, you know, how are you doing? And I, you know, put on my best fake smile, although I'm pretty sure, like, my eyes told her, yeah, you know, help me. I need help. <laughs> but I put on, you know, my my smile, and I said, oh, I'm doing fine. You know, Miss Bonnie, how are you? And she says, um, I don't think you are doing fine. She says, why don't you come over for a cup of coffee? And the first thing I thought to myself, right, because we all have, like, these uh, – preconceived notions of who we'd like to spend our time with and what type of person we'd like to spend our time with. And if people don't kind of fit into those boxes, we tend to stay away from them. So my first uh, thought was, I am not going to sit down and have coffee with the 70-year-old white lady from Battle Creek, Michigan. But I had nothing else to do, right? So I said, okay, Miss Bonnie, I'll come have coffee. And I walked into her house, and she had the most beautiful curtains and pillows and afghans. Uh, and I asked her, I, you know, I told her, I said, Miss Bonnie, you have a lovely home. Where do you buy all of your little furnishings and, and accessories? And she chuckled. And she said, I didn't buy these things. She said, I made these things. And I was, like, in awe. You know, she had knitted, knitted items. She had crocheted items. She had an original <clears throat> 1922 uh, singer sewing machine that she used to sew things on. And um, she asked me if I wanted to learn how to do some of that, uh, to which I replied, sure. So she handed me a crochet hook, a learn to crochet little booklet, and a white ball of uh, red heart yarn. And she said, take that home with you and read that book and see if you can, you know, get a handle on what it's telling you to do. And if you have any questions, you come back to me and, you know, we'll work through whatever issues you're having. And that was it. Me and Bonnie were were BFS after that. That was my buddy. (laughs) Uh, So you took to the crochet pretty quickly, right? Yes, very quickly, like days. That's great. And and so how did it progress from there? I mean, did, did you then learn how to sew, crochet, I mean, knit? I mean, how, what was the evolution of, of your learning and, and interest? That... So she first taught me um, to crochet, and she was working on a project of her own. She wanted to make herself um, – she said she was going to make herself a sweater. And when I saw her working, you know, pulling out all of her supplies and stuff to make her sweater, it was one afternoon where we were going to, you know, sit and have coffee and craft. Um, 
she didn't pull out a crochet hook. She pulled out two knitting needles. And I, you know, I looked. I said, oh, my gosh, you're going to knit. And she says, yeah, I'm going to knit this. And she said, do you want to learn how to do this too? And I said, absolutely. And um, she taught me then how to, you know, and she told me, she says, I'm going to teach you two stitches. I'm going to teach you how to knit. I'm going to teach you how to purl. And if you know how to do those two stitches, you can make anything you come across. She says, you know, you can make you a sweater, you can make you a hat. Doesn't matter how easy or you know difficult the pattern may seem, these two stitches are going to uh, help you make anything you want to make. And she taught me how to knit. Um, we even there was a senior center where she would go um, and you know spend her time with with other seniors. And I wound up becoming a volunteer there with her, our local senior center here in Columbia County, and I would go and play bingo with my seniors and uh, even started to teach them how to knit and crochet. So um, that, was, that was a lot, a lot, a lot of fun. And, of course, at this point, you're still mostly exposed to, and, again, nothing wrong with this, exposed to, you know, what's available in the area, which is mostly uh, big box yarn. Mm-hmm. Michael's and Joanne's, those were the only um, – you know, two places where I was exposed to any type of, like, yarn and, and crafty materials. Okay. So what was your first time ever being exposed to, say, what we'd consider more luxury yarns? Bonnie wanted to go, <clears throat> you know, as I said, she was from uh, Battle Creek, Michigan, and she still had family up there, and she wanted to visit them. But she wanted to drive because there were things that she wanted to um, – get while she was up there and bring back home with her, and it wouldn't really be feasible to, like, you know, fly and have to, like, get extra luggage and pay all those fees, I had nothing to do. So I said, you know what, Bonnie, you know, pack your bags. I'm going to drive you to Michigan. Let's go. Road trip with with you and me. Road trip, me and Miss Bonnie. I'm telling you, we must have looked so ridiculous, but we had a ball. Um. We drove up there, and she gave me a tour. You know, we went. she took me to Mackinac Island, uh, Mackinac City, Traverse, uh, was it Traverse, Michigan, and Fenville, and Frankenmuth. We went, like, all over. And um, while we were up there, she says, come on, let's go to a yarn shop. And I said, a yarn shop? And I'm thinking, you know, like, Michael's Joanne's. Like, no, but she pulled up, um, you know, a little plaza-type thing. And we walked in, and I was blown away. Um, Because the first thing you notice when you walk into a yarn shop is the colors. You know, whereas, like, big big box chains, they do have different colors, but, um, you know, they're your basic, like, red, black, blue. Whereas when I walked into this yarn shop, like, you saw so many different variations and different shades of colors and uh, you know, secondary colors and tertiary colors. And then as I walked around and I started, like, feeling them, well, my gosh, this feels different. What is this? Oh, this is alpaca. This is linen. <clears throat> this is, you know, merino. Um, and I, th- that's when my addiction, that, that's when it happened. You know, if you're not if, if you're not guarded the first time you really get hit by the yarn fumes, you know, it can consume you. It really can, you know. It was intense. It it was intense. Um, you know, at that point it was like, 
you know, my goodness, I can do this and this and that. And, you know, I, I was learning about, you know, a skein versus a cake of yarn, center pool balls and, and all, like just a, a whole new world basically um, that I just didn't know much about. So it was with Miss Bonnie uh, up in Michigan that I experienced that for the first time. Did you do a little shopping in that store? A little. <laughs> uh, I was buying sweater quantities before I knew what sweater quantity was. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Mm-hmm. All right, so, you, so you, you had your great road trip, and you and you and you discovered a you know a, a brand new level to this this fiber arts world out there. And that that's perfect, and you came back with, you know, outfitted and, and encouraged, ready to do, do some some stuff. And you and you got home. I mean, eventually you probably had to you know as you were talking to Jimmy you know, over whether it was Skype or whatever you're using, you probably had to eventually tell him how much you spent, um, which is you know what whatever because. I think Jimmy is this kind of supportive guy, but he, I'm sure he was shocked too. So you got home. Um, so mm-hmm. that you know, your 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 first trip to a yarn store was such a positive experience. But I understand that you you did try uh, and visit uh, your first trip to a local yarn store. Not not such a great experience. No, um, I got back and I said, well, uh, I'd like to see if I have a local yarn shop because I had never thought to um, look for one because I, all I knew was Michael and, and, and Joanne's. And uh, Ms. Bonnie had never mentioned <clears throat> whether or not, like, we had a local yarn shop. So I looked it up, and we had one that was maybe about 40 miles um, from where I live. And I said, that's, you know, I'm, 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 a, I'm a young girl. That's, that's, you know, not too bad as far as, like, driving there and back, a nice little day out. Maybe I'll go have some lunch while I um, – you know, drive out there. And I found the yarn shop, and I walked through the door, and before I even made it, I don't even think I heard the door close behind me yet. And the woman there who was the shop owner, you know, gave me a quick look up and down, and the first thing she said to me was, "Um, our bathroom is for customers only. And that was a punch to the gut, you know, um, as a, you know, a woman of color, you grow up and it, it absolutely was not like my first, um, you know, dealing with, with, with racism and, and, and that type of stuff and preconceived notions, you know, that people have about people who look a certain way, but it just doesn't, it doesn't make it any easier when it does happen. Like it's not, it's not a feeling you ever get used to. And um, it was it was heartbreaking that in that moment, you know, it took her all of, you know, three seconds to look me up and down and decide that, okay, you know, here's this, like, young black girl here. She couldn't possibly be here to buy yarn because, you know, black people don't do this. Black people don't knit or crochet or weave or whatever the case may be. Um, so I turned around and I got in my car and I went home. Yeah, I just, I mean, it's. Wow. I mean, you know, up to this point, this has been the fiber arts world was starting with Miss Bonnie and, and had been a, a happy place, you know, a, even a safe place. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think when, <clears throat> well, I think what happened was, um, which is, is a shame because it's really exhausting and you shouldn't have to be on guard all the time. Um 
it's just not something you want to be and want to want to do. But I think a lot of, um, or if not most people of color, are like that. But I think what happened there was because all of my um, yarn or crafting experiences, I was with Miss Bonnie. So because I was with her, I was treated differently because she was there. A white woman was there. I was her guest, so to speak. So, you know, I didn't really get, like, the funny looks. And, you know, people were nice to me because me and her were standing there together. And, oh, so clearly they came together. They must be friends or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, And I got used to that. And never did I ever, like, in a million years think that if I walked into these same spaces that seemed to be so um, warm and inviting, excuse me, and creative, that I would be treated like that. You know, so it was a wake-up call. It was almost like a back-to-reality kind of call. Uh, you know, does that make sense? Yeah. No, it, it, it does. And that was probably one of the least, um, you know, not that I'm, like, all for the pain Olympics, but that was probably one of the least uh, hurtful experiences um, when you start talking about things that different people of color experience, you know, throughout their day-to-day lives. Um, whether it be in the crafting world or the real world or, you know, whatever, but it still hurt nonetheless. And, you know, it's, it, it, it's very much a thing. Um, so, you know, I went home uh, and I was, a, I was, I was a little upset, um, but I didn't let it stop me from wanting to, uh, you know, get my hands on the different fibers and colors that, um I was drawn to, you know, when I went up to Michigan. So I just kept my, my purchases. I did my purchasing online. And that, that's how I bought my yarn for the most part after that uh, particular situation. One of the nice things that happened is, okay, so you're online shopping. Um, you got more time online, mm-hmm. obviously, for this stuff. And uh, I think you'd been a YouTube fan for a while, but you had a, a YouTube epiphany. So... <clears throat> Even before the YouTube, I was in a lot of the different crafting groups on Facebook, like the knitting groups and the crochet groups and, and that type of thing. And um, I had seen a couple of people talking about hand-dyed yarn. And I'm like, what do they mean hand-dyed? And, um, you know, even some people that I knew, they're like, oh, look, you know, I just hand-dyed my, my own yarn or whatever the case may be. And I'm like, well, what is that? So you, you, you go to the Google, my mom would say, I was on the Google and um, started, you know, typing hand-dyed yarn. And all types of tutorials and YouTube videos popped up. So I watched a couple of them and, you know, thought to myself, well, hell, I can do this. This doesn't seem, you know, it's almost like a recipe, like cooking, right? And I went to, uh, I want to say I went to Joanne's, and I bought some of their, you know, whatever their, a natural fiber was, whether it was like lion brand, fisherman, or patents, uh, you know, wool. And I got myself some food coloring and Kool-Aid. And I started playing around on my stove with, the, you know, the yarn and dyeing up different colors and seeing what colors did when you mix them with other colors. And I got excited and I posted them online, my results. And I'm like, hey, you guys, um, I think the, the Facebook group was called like Knitting knitting love or something like that. 
And I'm like, you guys, look at what I did. I just dyed my own yarn with Kool-Aid. <laughs> and, you know, you couldn't tell me anything. I was like, you know, I'm the Picasso of yarn. Look at what I just did here. <laughs> and everybody was like, oh, that's fantastic. And one lady says to me, I love that one on the, you know, the left or the right or whatever it was she said. She said, how much would you charge for that? And, like, the biggest, like, my head almost exploded when she, when she typed that. Wait, you'll pay me for this? And I was off to the races. Oh, that's fantastic. <laughs> uh, so so in, our, in, our, in our pre-interview, um, uh, you, you told me the story of, okay, you were off to the races, and Jimmy finally comes home from Afghanistan. <laughs> that was it's a great story. <laughs> please, please tell our, our listeners about that particular story, because it's good. It's good. And it, it says some nice things about, about your relationship, too, but it, it, it's, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall when he first came in the door, you know? I am very I am very fortunate to have a husband who is as patient and kind and level headed. Um and I say that all the time. I think like the universe gave me him for a reason because anybody else would have packed their bags and walked out because so I started playing with like Kool Aid and, and um, you know, the little wool that I could find at, you know, local um craft supply stores. And I think I did that for maybe all of three days. <laughs> And I said, okay, well, I got the Kool-Aid thing down. Let's move on to the stuff they're talking about in these videos, the acid dyes. And I bought acid dyes, and I found <clears throat> uh, distributors who sell, you know, bear yarn. And I, I got me some bear yarn and tabletop warmers. So I went from the stove to, you know, uh, one or two warmers, which led to four warmers. And when my husband came home, I had – my kitchen didn't look like a kitchen anymore. My kitchen was my dive studio. It was me by myself, so I didn't have to, like, cook any big extravagant meals if I cooked at all some days. So that was, like, my art studio. And he walked in, and he was like, what is happening? Um, and you figure back then, too, I wasn't using citric acid, which, while it has an odor, um, it's nowhere near as powerful as vinegar. So when he came back home and he sees, like, restaurant-grade equipment in his kitchen and it smells like yarn and vinegar, um, you know, he was just, he was confused. You know, I left and things looked a certain way, and now I come back and he's like, I got to get you out of my kitchen. That's, that was the first thing he said. Oh, he looked around, you got to get out of my kitchen. And... You know, he cleared out the garage for me and got wiring and electricity and, and all that type of stuff um, put in there for me. And he kicked me out of his kitchen. He said, my, my kitchen is for food, not for yarn. <laughs> well, to be fair, I mean, to be fair, he probably had some toaster ovens to buy and not unbox, you know? I mean, yeah, that, he, that, exactly. It, right. He, I mean, he probably had to buy another ice cream maker or another toaster oven um, <laughs> and, and, and not, and leave them boxed on the, I mean, he needs room for that kind of thing, you know? I mean, you know, I get rid of one type of restaurant grade equipment for another because he right. said he had to get me out of the kitchen because I was taking up all the counter space, but you know, the appliances that are in there now are just ridiculous. So, <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, and and I, you know, of course, I try to encourage. It. I've been on those uh, those calls with you and 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 GB and Sh- Gigi and Shelby, and he comes in, and you know, of course, I I want to talk to him about Insta Insta cookers and Instapots and things like that too. So you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's guy, is, is it a guy thing in appliances? I don't know. I mean, I'm not trying to you know typecast myself or anybody else, but you know, it's it's a thing I think. Well, you know what? This is what I tell myself now. Like I give him grief when the new kitchen appliances come in. But I said, you know what, Adela, his hobby could be cars. Yeah. You know what I mean? So just be grateful that it's something that, you know, isn't going to bankrupt you all um, and that actually serves a purpose to, like, you know, my family. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, so, so okay, here we are. Uh, Jimmy Beck, you're in full swing. He's helped you kind of develop a new space that probably worked better for you out in the garage, um, including air conditioning because mm-hmm. that was important especially where you live, it was important. Um, well, that didn't and, come until later. Oh, the first, my goodness. Yes, the first two years, two and a half years, I was in there, like, in the element. So if it was, like, 100 degrees, you know, my garage was 100 degrees, and I was still out there working. And the same thing for the winter. I've only had air conditioning in there for a little over a year. Oh, my I was intense. Like I loved dyeing yarn. Loved I guess. Like, it, it, and I had no issue. Like it was hot, and you know, Jimmy, he wouldn't even come in there most days. It was so hot. But you see, like a, a man's hand come out the door and like plop a Gatorade on a table and disappear. You know, well, and what stay hydrated. Guy. <laughs> what a sweet guy. Mhm. So. All right. So, but you are set up now, and. You've yeah. got encouragement. You've you've got a little bit of a, a, a following now. You're starting to to run, and you know, and and you switch brands to from mm-hmm. Adela's Crochet Cottage to to Little Bean Yarn Company. I'd like, if you're okay with it, to talk for you to talk to us about why. I'd like to talk about your logo and and, and how that's personally important for you. Um, I have. My bonus boys, um, I, I call them my, my stepkids, but I never, I didn't have any biological children of my own at the time until <clears throat> I became pregnant with um, Lola. And after I had her, um, I don't know if it's just something that comes instinctively, like when you become a mother or a, a mother-type figure or you have a child come, you know, I, I don't know what it was, but when I had her, there was this thing where it's like, okay, I need to leave this world a little better off than how it was when I came into it. You know, because I have these kids who are, you know, if if nature does what it does in the order that it normally does it in, who are going to be here well after I'm not. And I need things to be <clears throat> better for them. Uh, so I wanted to rebrand and through rebranding show people that there are, because you didn't see it often, you didn't see makers of color often, but um, show people that there are black creators that, you know, while you may not see them and society may push these stereotypes and have you believe that, you know, this is this is only for white people and this is only for black people. And, no, we're all over. I wanted to try to 
use my rebrand to make space for other uh, makers of color. So I went with my daughter. Um, I know I'm biased, but she's like the cutest kid on the planet to me. Um, So I reached out to a graphic designer, and I sent him a couple of pictures of her, and I asked him if he could kind of make a caricature of her, a cartoon version of her to use as my logo. And I sent, if I sent him those pictures on Monday, by Wednesday, I had a finished logo in my hands. And it is the logo that you see now. And I said, you know, how cool would it be when, you know, if you're a person of color and you happen to walk into a yarn shop, that you see yarn sitting there with like a beautiful black baby on it and you know that it was dyed by somebody who looks like you. Um, and that's what I wanted to bring into, you know, the fiber industry with my, my logo because, you know, you have all the sheeps and by no means am I knocking anybody's, um, anybody's logo, but, you know, you have sheeps and you have the yarn balls and you have the, how many black people do you see on logos when you walk into a yarn shop or when you're online looking for yarn, you don't. And I kind of wanted to change that, and I think um, I think I did it. This this transition happened uh, around 2015 or 2016, correct? Yes. Okay. 16. So we're talking about a time here where um, people were talking about some of these problems: lack of representation, uh, lack of diversity, as well as out and out, you know, racism, um, and of course, nobody was listening. And you had always been outspoken. In fact. And that cost you a couple of times in, in online communities. Oh, of course. Um, you you would be in, you know, some of these crafting groups, um, and I'd turn on my computer. Let me go see what, you know, what the, the latest pattern is and or what's happening in the, the, the creative community on Facebook or wherever, and I'd log on and it would be, you know, some lady uh, holding up a blanket she just made for her, daughter who just got married and it's, you know, the Confederate flag or um, the Gollywog dolls, which I think are like the most hideous and atrocious things I've ever seen in my life when you see these things. And I'd say, hey, you know, this is kind of trashy. This is racist. You know, I don't know if you all know the history behind these things that you're showing to people, you know, and I don't care how beautiful the craftsmanship is. I don't care how even and neat your stitches are or what your color work looks like. You know, this hurts. This is offensive. It's almost, it, it almost feels like <clears throat> an assault. You know, like there is a, phys- I get a physical reaction. Like when I go online and I'll, it just pops up like one of those dolls or, or whatever, you know, I'll back away from my computer. It, it feels like an assault. I'd say something. And as soon as you'd say something, oh, you're so sensitive. Or it's not, it's not about race or my ancestors, this is, you know, this is a battle flag. It's not about slavery. It's about states' rights or the gollywog dolls. My mima made me one, and now I'm making one for my granddaughter, and it's not racist. It's, you know, you would get a lot of that, and when you push back against that, it's like, no, I understand what you're saying to me, and I'm telling you that the origin, um, the origins of a lot of these things, most things, you know, um, in our society, uh, they, they have an ugly, racist past. 
and we need to, you know, do away with this. And uh, I'd go to, like, make another comment, and before I hit send, I'm no longer in the group. Oh, I've been kicked out of that group. Been kicked out of this group. I've been muted. My comments were deleted. Let's just stick to knitting. Let's not bring politics into this. You know, but it's not politics. This is my 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 life. This is the yeah. lives of my uh, poli- children, that, my husband. That, that politics thing really bothers me too, because this really isn't about politics. Human rights. You know that that that's not a political issue. You know, people wanting to be able to live and do uh, even the most mundane things in this world without fear of, you know, being hurt or accosted or killed, you know, that's not political. You know, and I, 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 I would speak up and try to get people to understand that, um, you know, it just wasn't something that people were willing to or wanted to hear um, or it made them feel, you know, that guilt you know, that, that, that guilt, that white guilt. And, you know, people don't like to feel anything other than good. And when you make them feel, you know, bad or ashamed or um, a little guilty, you know, they, they, they push back, they fight back. And I got a lot of pushback. Do you see any indication of, of and I can't talk for the, about the rest of the world, but within our industry of, change happening that's real I'm, I'm just curious i mean you're you joined um us at stitches um which i always think of as stitches it's kind of like a like, nice little nexus of you know of uh, people getting together almost like a small microcosm of our, our industry mm-hmm. any any show is i mean you look at it do you see positives do you see negatives i'd, I'd love to hear both um i see some change <clears throat> Do I think it's enough to help propel us and move us forward in a way that is healthy and safe and productive for all of us? Not yet. But I I see it. I see more um, BIPOC people, more black people in our community being highlighted and spotlighted and and, uh, their yarns being, you know, picked up and showcased in different venues and shops. I do, you know, if if we're being like 100% transparent, I struggle with um, knowing whether or not a lot of it is genuine because there is a lot of, you know, performative allyship out there um, where people just want to appear to look a certain way but really don't want to um, do the actual work and level the playing field. They just want to, you know, appear like that's how they feel and that's what they're doing. But um, I'm seeing more makers of color. I'm seeing, you know, and at one point it was, you know, if there was a maker of color, um, you know, if you started talking about makers of color in this industry, you know, maybe you could name two. You know, two, and when I say two, I mean like, you know, prominent, you know, successful ones. But I'm starting to see, you know, more and more people, um, you know, become highlighted and spotlighted. And then, Behind that, what I'm starting to see now is more people of color um, and more specifically black people, I'm going to try to dye yarn. The number of people that I have seen on my feed who were just knitting and crocheting to now, hey, I'm going to see if I can do this and make it work, is incredible. 
And I think that has a lot to do with them finally, you know, being able to see more and more people in this community do these things. So now they know that, hey, I can try this. And if I do try it and if I need help, there are people around who look like me that can help me. Or if I want to go to an event or go to a a venue, I'm not going to be the only brown face there. You know, so that is, is encouraging to them and, you know, makes them want to jump in and see if it's something they'd like to do or can do. Um, so, you know, I see change, you know, in that way. I see, like, little changes. Um, there's certainly more work that needs to be done, and it's going to be hard, and I don't know if it's something that will be done in my lifetime. I say that all the time. But um, what I do think is there are more people who want to see change than there are people who don't want change. So as long as those numbers stay that way, um, you know, even if it's at a snail's pace, you know, we're, we're moving in the right direction. You know, we get, we talked during the pre-interview about some negative things that happened um, for you at uh, at the, the Stitches show you were at. And, you know, I, I'm perfectly fine having that be out there, but I really do want our audience to understand that, that what's going on and, and if they haven't understood what a microaggression is and how a microaggression isn't micro, it's an aggression. Uh, would you be okay mm-hmm. sharing those instances with me? Absolutely. Um <clears throat> when I did Stitches United, two um, friends of mine, Karen and Jessica, they um, own Scratch Supply Co. up in New Hampshire. Beautiful shop, very inclusive. Um, and I always tell people when I talk about, you know, the shop and, and, you know, their role in the fiber arts industry, you know, they were inclusive before it was a trend. Um, but they came down to help me. Um, organize my booth and to, you know, sell yarn and to, um, you know, just basically help me run my first, you know, ever show. And it would it would just crack me up. And I say not even like in a comical way, but just sometimes something is just like so ridiculous you have to laugh to keep from crying. The number of people who would walk into my booth and walk right past me Right now, I am a a black woman standing there. I'm wearing an apron, right? I have a special apron. Everybody knows my apron that has my logo all over it. And you see all of this yarn around you with this little black baby all over it. And they would walk right past me, see me there, walk past me and walk up to one of the two white women who were in my booth and ask them, so which one of you is dying all of this beautiful yarn? And I would just kind of like chuckle because... At that point, now your brain is racing. So do they think I'm not capable of it because I'm black, or do they think I'm just the help and only, you know, white people can do this or do it this well or, you know, so that kind of um, puts you in a certain space or a certain um, mood where you're – it's a little disheartening. Um, Will it make me quit or anything? No. But that was just, you know, one of the things I've experienced – there was a mother-daughter duo walking past the different booths and, you know, looking around doing their, their shopping. And they get to my booth, and the daughter says to the mom, hey, let's go in here and look. This stuff looks nice. And the mother looks at my banister, and she was like, no, I'm not going in there. That's not really my thing, and walks off. And I'm like, well, what's not your thing? Because it's yarn. Right, and that's what we're all here for. Yeah. Um, but even if like 
I had like all of the colors, you know, all the spectrum of the rainbow. I had them all, so it's not like there wasn't something there that, you know, maybe wouldn't have, you know, would wouldn't have caught her eye or whatever the case. But you know, she looked at the logo and she saw, okay, there's a black baby, so somebody behind this this business here is black, and eh, that's not my thing. You know, and it stings a little bit, but then you keep on going because, again, for you know, every one person who does something like that. Um, I had, you know, 60 people who were, like, the total opposite of that. Uh, But I do do think, I will say this much, um, in terms of, you know, your events, uh, and, you know, I don't, I'm not a smoke blower. Um, I, I do think that your handling of your events, like, moving forward and you're speaking up and you're speaking out, um, and I can tell, even though the last couple events I wasn't able to get to because of, like, you know, work obligations, you could just see um, more and more black and brown faces um, coming out and uh, having a good time and feeling like they're in a safe space. And if something happens, you know, the degree you all um, speak up and speak out, is it's, it's setting a tone and it's setting a, a precedence. And I hope a lot of other, um, you know, shows, show coordinators and event coordinators um, follow that. Well, thank you very much. I, I, I sometimes feel like all we do is wait for things to go wrong as a way of enforcing as opposed to trying to be preemptive. And it's, it's, the problem is you never know what's in somebody's heart until they open their mouth sometimes. And, uh, mm-hmm. um, but I do, I do feel very grateful that, there are so many people that have, have 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 reached a level where they're they're giving me just a modicum of trust in trying us, um, you know, mm-hmm. to say okay, you know, maybe this will be, you know, because that's a huge leap of faith. It is, and uh, I don't take it for granted. Um, anyway, I thank you very much. I'm always <laughs> uncomfortable talking about me, so let's get back to talking about you. Um, so so we we talked about um, our industry. I know you have a few thoughts about our country. Um, did you want to express yourself? I mean, I just I think our country is um, a really, really bad space, um, you know, when it comes to social justice, social injustice, when it comes to police brutality, when it comes to, you know, the health of our people in this pandemic. Um, And real change needs to happen. Not, you know, a Facebook post or an Instagram post. And then when you turn off your laptop or your mobile device, you know, you don't do anything or you don't put any type of, like, action to your words. Real change is needed. Um... It's a fight that is going to have to be fought for a very long time. People need to be serious about these issues and these things. Um, or else, you know, what's the point of like, okay, so we're, we're, we're making these like changes and advances within the fiber community, right? Yep. So let's say we get to where we want to be in the fiber community. What's the point of doing all of that work if outside of it, like the world is chaos? The things that are happening within the fiber community and those changes um, that we're trying to make and see happen, you know, they just don't apply to the fiber community. 
Like these are things that you need to take out with you into the world. You need to take them into your um, accounting job, your your banking job, your nursing job, your, you know, this is something that needs to happen on a grand scale, you know, not just in your own little um, microcosm or your own little neighborhood or your own little bubble. We need to bust these bubbles and, you know, make change on a grand scale. And I think, um, you know, we'd all be so much better for it. We'd be so much happier. We'd be so much healthier. Um, you know, we just have to do the work. And the work is a lot more than posting something or posting about your outrage on, like, a social media platform. People need to do the work to make these changes happen. we got a couple of things we got to talk about here. Um, I think mm-hmm. one of the most important things we need to talk about is, we, because we haven't talked about it enough, Jimmy, and, and mostly Jimmy the model. Um, <laughs> He is a popular guy. Uh, anything you I mean, you, you tell a great story about the first time he tried to help you uh, dye yarn. Uh, and I'd love for our listeners to hear that if you don't mind sharing it. <laughs> he's going to listen to this later and he's going to be like, oh, my gosh, you're so bitter. That's what he says to me. You're so bitter. Stop being bitter. They love me. You're just bitter. Um, well, first of all, he's like... Like I said, he is always, like, super supportive, um, you know, helps in any way that he can. And it started with um, back when I would just knit and crochet and I'd want to see how a hat fit or something look. He would try it on for me and I'd snap a picture and I'd post it in the groups. Look at this hat I just made. And um, a lady was like, oh, Jimmy the model. And that's kind of how, like, he got the name and it stuck, but... You know, he was, like, a very popular guy where, like, I would make a hat, and I'd be so proud of this hat. Maybe I learned a new technique, and I'd post it and, you know, see what people thought about it, and I'd get, like, you know, 40 likes. And then I would take that same hat and put it on Jimmy, and it's, like, 1,000 likes, 2,000 likes. Oh, what a sweet husband you have. Oh, he's so support. And I'm like, this is ridiculous. He didn't do anything. All he did was smile for a picture. That is all this man did. And um, I'll never forget, he wanted to see, like, what it was like to dye yarn. He's like, I'd like to try this. And, you know, maybe I could have my own little colorway or something. So I gave him, I, I mixed and prepped all the dye for him and filled up his little squirt bottles and set him up, you know, his little dyeing station. And I snapped a picture of him dyeing yarn, and the picture was black and white. I made it black and white. And I posted it to show, you know, um, my, my, my fiber friends. I hate to say, like, followers or I, I don't like that word. But, you know, my fiber friends, look who's, you know, getting in on the action and trying out the dyeing. And all of these people who I have been interacting with for half a decade, basically threw me to the curb, and they were like, I don't even know what color that is because it's black and white, but you tell him I want a sweater's quantity. You tell him you should change the name of your business to J&A Yarn Co. Well, why is the J first? Like, I built this thing from the bottom up, and here comes, you know, a guy with a pretty smile and they just throw me to the wayside. 
you know, but I always like, you know, I, I, I sound like a, a, a little bitter, but it's funny. It really cracks me up, like the way they um, have embraced and you know, and I think it's just more of the, um, while they love him and like his personality and stuff like that, I think it's just like people being happy about uh, seeing supportive mates in this industry. Um, you know, somebody who, you know, because for a long time, I don't even think people in my family thought I had a real job. Like, I don't know what they thought I was in my garage doing. But well, anytime they you try to tell, explain to people that you're you're making money out of, you know, I've tried to explain to people what I do for a living too, and it it never goes well. Yeah, they just don't get it. Um, yeah. So to see like uh, somebody have a mate who understands that, like, okay. While it started out as a hobby, it has turned into a business. It is real. There is a lot of hard work that goes into it, and I'm going to support you every step of the way. I think that's what they fell in love with. Um, so, you know, now he has, like, his own Instagram page <laughs> where he has his own, you know, um, fiber friends that follow him, and he's actually, you know, has a line of products coming out. It's pretty funny. But yeah, that's 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 my Jimmy. Oh yeah, that's great though, and I and I do know that he's supportive of you too, and I mean it's it's that's real, and you know you can actually t- tell that you guys are are friends beyond anything else too, which is nice. Absolutely, especially when you're you know social distancing during a pandemic, you really you really want to be friends with whoever you're with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, you know I've been I've been married uh, for. 26 or 27 years. I always forget that, but I've known my wife for, I think, 30 now. And um, yeah, it, it's 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 nice that mm-hmm. we, you know, you know, not not hating each other is good. <clears throat> I'd like you know more is better. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of friends, um, you know, I want to talk about uh, two of yours, and especially, I mean, we we have had Gigi on the on the on the show before, and of course, uh, this first time you've been on here. Um, uh, there, there's a, a young lady who in, is incredibly impressive, um, I, I'm, and of course I'm talking about Shelby. And I know that Shelby's got mm-hmm. her book club, and and you're a member of her book club. I, I kind of came into this and went, I, you know, I had to ask a few questions offline to somebody else. Okay, can you tell me about this book club? It, would you mind talking <laughs> about it? Because I just think it's pretty cool. I and I'm going to have phenomenal. Shelby on the show eventually. Um, yeah, look, we'll talk to Shelby. And Shelby yep. will come and talk to you. Um, yeah. But she she is phenomenal. Bef- prior to even before the book club, um, me and Gigi, you know, forged our relationship, and me and uh, Shelby, you know, started our relationship. Prior to the book club, I've just always felt like she was wise beyond her years. Um, she's always had like a very strong voice. She's always been. Um, very solid, you know, in who she is and what she believes in and speaking out um, on those things and um, very inspirational, too, in terms of, like, self-worth and how you should feel about yourself and how you let other people treat you. And that's something that I was, like, drawn to instantly about her. Um, I absolutely love and adore that, and I think that when you have friends and when you pick and choose friends or friends that become family, you know, you want to surround yourself with people who, you know, mean you well and have things to teach you, no matter how old or young they are. Um, I think she is definitely 
someone that I can learn a great deal from. So when she shared, you know, her love of books, um, I listened. You know, she she was, like, really, really passionate in all of the books that, you know, she would read and what she thought about them. And she said she wanted to start a book club. And the instant, you know, she said it, like her mother, you know, of course mom is always going to, like, stand behind you and cheer you on. So um, Gigi was like, you know, well, go ahead and do it. And I, I told her the same thing, start it. And I will stand behind you and help you, you know, in any way that I can if you need it, um, <clears throat> you know, and to to help ensure that, you know, you're successful and have, like, all the tools you need to make this what you want it to be. And she hit the ground running. Um, and I love the fact that she's black. Because, again, when you start talking about uh, diversity and, and, and being inclusive, you know, I can't think of a single – I don't ever remember in my lifetime – I'm about to be 40. I don't ever remember seeing a black librarian in person. I don't ever remember going to a bookstore owned by a black person. Like, I, when it comes to, like, reading and, you know, language arts and stuff like that, like, obviously you have, like, your poets and your creators – but, you know, we need to see, like, widespread diversity and inclusivity. And, you know, to see, like, this young black woman um, and her love and passion for, like, reading start a book club. Not only does she start a book club, right, where you all read the same book and you have your um, weekly or biweekly discussions, but she also started a book buddy program where people can um, go to her website and they can make donations and somebody who may not be able to afford the book can get a book and follow along with the book club. So it's like I'm doing this thing that I'm passionate about, that I love, and obviously you want something for you out of it, right? Like if this is something that she's passionate about and she wants to do, she, she may want to make a living for herself with it. But then to even say to, you know, say to herself, okay, while I want all of these things, I still want to do outreach work and help those who may not be able to, you know, participate in this. And, um, you know, I just love her for that. And it's, it's really, really successful. And I crack up because she calls herself knitting adjacent, right? Like when people say, so do you do yarn things? Do you knit? She says, no, I'm knitting adjacent. I just take my mom to the shops and the shows. Right? That's what she says. And I will I'm crack up adjacent. I love that. I'm t- you, you, you will fall in love with Shelby, but um, I'm gonna have her on the I show. crack up because I'll say to her, Shelby, look at who just signed up for your book club, and it's like some of the biggest names in this industry, and she's like, well, who's that? And I crack up like it is like the funniest and sweetest thing ever, um, you know. And the people who have like rallied around and support her, and you know, are taking you know this journey with her. You know, she, she, she deserved it. She earns it. Um, you know, and I think the world has um, a lot more in store for her. I just had to, you know, bring, bring it out there because, uh, you know, it's, 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 you know, these, these, it's funny, these, these Instagram things that the three of you do, well, four, because Jimmy jumps in a lot. Um, that becomes <laughs> such a, a, you know, a positive part of my week. Um, so thank you for that. I just wanted to make sure that I said that. Um, Oh, no and Shelby's fantastic. 
Okay, I want to talk about something that. a little serious. We're going to move away from this. We're going to talk about something a little serious because we had a, a conversation in our in our in our pre-interview where you shared with me something I didn't know, and mm-hmm. uh, I went back in and and as soon as we got off the phone and, and talked about it with my wife and 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 you know again it's just such a, a difference in the expectation. Um, of course, when my my wife has had three children and it was they were all of course nerve-wracking you know um <laughs> but you know it, it it's a it's kind of a happy time you know and it, it's kind of like an mm-hmm. excited time and you know you're always worried that you know that the baby's gonna have 10 fingers 10 toes every every fine you know and and you worry a little bit but our experience compared to your experience i had no idea how radically different it is, and I know this is something that you care a lot about, and you're and you're advocating for, and you're talking to people about. For the sake of my listeners, can you can you talk about about this? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I, I I I dye yarn and I sell yarn to obviously help provide for my family, but I am very big in you know doing uh, philanthropy. Right? It's it's. If I can help in some way, shape, or form um, those people who are doing work within um, the black community, within, you know, any any community um, where there are marginalized uh, people, I will do that. So I do a number of things um, or, or donate to a number of organizations. Um, I did a, a fundraiser for, like, WHO and... Um, the Trans Women of Color Collective, but the last one that I did, I actually did it in honor of my daughter's birthday. And Lola is like, I'm trying to figure out how to say this without sounding, I don't want to sound not braggadocious or anything like that, but, you know, she makes people laugh, and she's like this little beacon I guess, of light for people within the fiber community because they've watched her grow up, you know, because I've been in this industry for that long. And a lot of times they will offer to, you know, I'd love to send her something for her birthday or I would love to send her something for Christmas. And I got a lot of those messages this year for her birthday, so I said, please don't send her anything. You know, she has more than she needs. What you can do is I'm going to sell a special colorway and I'm going to donate the proceeds um, of this colorway to the National Black Doulas Association. Um, They do is they help to train and educate um, black birth workers to help black mothers or expectant mothers or black and brown um, expectant mothers to have, um, you know, a – easier, I don't want to say easier because there's nothing about childbirth that's easier, but a safer and um, healthier birthing experience. They advocate um, for black and brown mothers because, you know, a lot of people don't understand. There's that um, saying where it's like, you know, our men, black men are killed, you know, in the streets by violence and police brutality. Black women are killed in the hospital because black women who go into a hospital to give birth are four times, you know, the, the chances of them dying because of, you know, childbirth complications are four times higher than they are for white women. And um, that needs to be addressed. 
and real change needs to be made. Education needs to happen. And, you know, we need to get these numbers reduced. So I felt, you know, um, what better way or what better cause, I couldn't think of a better cause to bring, you know, to the forefront um, for Lola's fourth birthday than, you know, helping black mothers live through the childbirth experience so that they can be there and raise their black babies. Um, you know, but, yeah, I talk about, you know, that that cause a lot because, you know, when we were talking and I said, you know, that happy time for people, you know, oh, new babies come in, everybody, when are we going to go to the hospital to see the baby or, you know, whatever, you know, if you choose to have your baby at home, whatever, when do we get to see the baby and clothes? And, you know, I remember going to um, have Lola and being terrified. Like, I hope they listen to me. Um, I hope they don't ignore, you know, ignore me, my request, my pain. Um, I made sure that, you know, I had Jimmy there. I had my mother come from New York so that they could advocate, you know, for me in the event that I'm not able to advocate for myself. And I just kept thinking to myself, let me make it through this so that I can see my baby. Um, So while, you know, a lot of people have, like, that anxiety of, you know, oh, I can't wait to see my baby. What's my baby going to look like? Can I do this? You know, a lot of, like, my anxiety around having Lola was, I just want to live through this. Uh, Yeah, again, this is something I was Mm -hmm. completely unfamiliar with, and I felt, you know, dumb that I was unfamiliar with it. I miss things, folks. Sorry about that. I really do miss things. And this is is crazy. And I think it's worth noting, this is not a case that is really based in a socioeconomic uh, phenomenon. Um, It is simply Mm -hmm. about skin color. It doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have. You could be rich, you could be poor, you could be have five so degrees, Serena Williams. you could have no degrees. Yeah. You know, she almost, you know, she had to, like, really fight and fight and fight and advocate, you know, for them to listen to her um, and her experience and having her baby, you know. And ultimately, um, they listened and her life was saved, but had nobody listened, she might not even be here because of, like, the issues that she was having after having her daughter with you know, the blood clots and that type of thing. And what really makes that sad is, you know, blood clots were like a pre-existing condition for her. So this is something that, like, should have been, like, noted and should have been, like, you know, people should have paid special attention to but didn't. So it really doesn't matter, you know, where you come from, um, you know, what, what your background is. You know, if you are a black or brown woman, this is just the reality for you. It just happened um, last week. I just read another story, you know, where a woman died, um, you know, giving birth, and, and now, you know, there's a dad out there with this brand-new baby, and this baby has no mama, you know, because they weren't listening to you. So, yep, we got to do better. After you told me this, I started doing some research. That's how I learned about uh, Serena and some of this other stuff. This is not socioeconomic. It doesn't matter whether you have medical or not the quality of the hospital, this is across the board. And, and as I, I look at this, it, it seems like, you know, and of course it's hard to you know, quantify data, it seems that there's just a lack of training or a lack of understanding to treat black and brown women um, the same or to respect the request that I'm having a problem. You know, this is, I mean, this is a really fixable thing. Not only that, but I think a lot of the issues um, that black and brown people encounter um, within the, the medical industry, 
I mean, just like, you know, racism uh, exists everywhere else, it exists here too because, I mean, if you even look at the training um, that, you know, doctors and nurses and, and certified, you know, nurse assistants go through, um, the, the number of times black people are misdiagnosed because something presents differently in black people than it does in white people. But they were never taught to see what it looks like on black people, on black skin. You know what I mean? Like, um, I was just talking to somebody on a thread about this the other day, but me, um, them telling me I had back acne as in uh, a seven- or eight-year-old, it was the chicken pox. It wasn't back acne. You know what I mean? It just presented presented itself differently, you know, on black skin than it does on white skin. But if, you know, our healthcare professionals aren't trained to see what it looks like on both, obviously we're going to run into issues with black people because you don't even know what you're looking at. You know, so it, it there's just so much, you know, that that needs to change and needs to be done and, you know, we need to speak on it and, um, you know, hopefully the more we speak and the more money we raise and the more we advocate and fight and march, um, you know, the, 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 the changes will be made. That That's what I'm hoping for. Well, I mean, we covered it on the show, so maybe one more person besides me learned about it this week. Um, and... Um, you know, thank you for making that a cause that you're, you know, you're championing and donating to. Because it's, uh, this is, this is that statistic is just scary. I mean, just unbelievably. Scary. It is. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that. All right. Well, we're getting close to the end of our show. You've been, a, you've just been such a wonderful guest to have on the show. Is there anything that we haven't <laughs> talked about so far that we should? Um, I think we've covered all the bases. Okay. So you and I have uh, solved the world's problems at this point, you think? Yeah, when we hang up, it should all be, you know, fine. It should all be <laughs> fine. Okay, good. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, I think, um, you know, we've covered um, a, a nice variety of, of stuff and things um, going on. I have a, another uh, initiative happening um, I just posted about it this morning. Um, oh, please tell Fair us. Fight. Do you know Stacey Abrams? Oh, okay, yes. And, um, okay, so her campaign to, you know, help stop uh, voter suppression and making sure that everybody who has the right to vote um, can get to vote, making voting more accessible um, for, you know, black, brown people, um, poor people, right? all those people who, um, you know, don't have the the ability to or the ability to vote has kind of been stripped away from them. Um, so there is a yarn shop <clears throat> in upstate New York. Uh, Cecilia is her name, Cece's Wool. And last year she asked me to dye a custom color for her that she could sell so that she could donate the proceeds, you know, to the, the Fair Fight campaign. And I came up with a colorway called Leaf, L-E-A-F, Leaf Voter Suppression Behind. Um, And she sold out and she donated and I matched her donation. So we're doing it again this year. I'm actually taking yarn off of the drying racks now to be twisted um, so we can raise some more funds 
um, for that cause because what you typically or what you tend to see or what I'm personally seeing a lot um, these days, especially from white folks out here in the world, is if things are so bad and you want change, you need to go vote. And while that sounds like the right thing to say and the cool thing to say and the cool thing to do, um, you're absolutely right. We need to, like, you know, use our voting power to make lasting change. But before we can do that, we need to make sure it is accessible. The right to vote is accessible to everyone. Um, And black and brown people and poor people are um, the most affected by voter suppression. So I have that campaign going on. I just posted about that a little earlier today. So um, I'm excited about that. So, you know, let's, let's make voting uh, accessible to everyone. That's a, that's a big thing for me too. Fantastic. Well, and I, and I want to remind people that there will be a show notes uh, to this episode where I, I promise I'll do my uh, due diligence and get these things that we've talked about uh, posted there so that mm-hmm. you can participate and, and ask you to please do participate. Um, so, all right. Uh, again, coming down to the end here, uh, in this troubled time, what advice can you give to the world? Because, you know, again, I know we've fixed most of the world, but, you know, we still need to hear exactly <laughs> the, the final word on that from you. Um, find joy. Find joy in the little things. Um, I'm never one to minimize what anyone goes through. Um You know, if you are upset by something or if you're mad or you're sad or, you know, you're angry, those are your feelings, feel them. Feel your feelings, feel your feels, you know. Have your pity party, but don't stay there for too long. Um, Find joy in the little things because there are still things left to be hopeful about and to find joy in Um, and, you know, the expression that my grandmother used to say is, you know, if everybody put their problems on a shelf, you would take yours back. Um, You know, you might be upset because you miss your friends and you're stuck in the house. Somebody out there doesn't have a house to be stuck in. Um, So, you know, just take stock. When you wake up in the morning, take stock. And um, as long as, like, the good things that you have, outweigh, you know, whatever bad things you may be experiencing um, in your life right now, uh, you're still in a better place and a better position than a lot of people are in this world. So, you know, be be happy about that. Be grateful about it. Appreciate it. And, you know, let it let it give you hope. Oh, that's that's lovely. I mean, really lovely. Um, and the shelf thing, I, I'm going to have to remember that. That's fantastic. Um <laughs> Yeah, and I knew you were going to be a fantastic guest on this. I just knew you would be great at this. All right, so last question, and I, I gave you fair warning about this. Um, do you have anyone mm-hmm. you want to thank or make shout-outs to? It's funny because I, I thought about it and thought about it, and I even pulled out, like, pen and paper and, you know, started writing down names. And while I love and get support from so many different people in the um, – crafting industry, I just want to shout out um, black makers, all of my black makers, all of the people who have felt um, invisible for so long, 
and who are fighting for a place in this world, I just want to shout them out and let them know that I see them, um, I love them, I support them, I will always love them and support them. And, um, you know, if, if, we, if, if, if we're not given a seat at the table, we're going to make our own. So, you know, <laughs> that, my black makers, that, th- those are the folks I want to shout out. That's fantastic. Thank you so much for, I mean, great. Um, I want to thank you uh, so much for taking the time to be on the show. I, uh, you know, you were absolutely wonderful, and uh, I know you're very busy. Um, and so, you know, thank you for being gracious, and, and, and you know, just thank you for being you. Thank you for having me. Listen, anything that will get me in a room where I can lock the door and hide from my kids for an hour and a half, I'll take it. You could have said to me, Adela, I, I have a podcast about squirrels, and I want you on it. I would have said, okay, I'll be there. <laughs> well, as it turns That's out, true. I do have a podcast about squirrels. Can I book you on that one as well? I mean, because you, I mean, you said, okay, all right. <laughs> But thank you for having me. This this was a nice a nice conversation um, to have. I, I definitely appreciate it. Well, again, we got to we got to we got all we can do sometimes is talk, and uh, and, those, mm-hmm. and, then, and sometimes we can listen too. That's a good thing. And you, so you taught me some things too that I didn't know, which was I'd, I always appreciate that. So uh, I'm going to wish you uh, 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 you know a great day and, and a glorious week, and, and and thank you very much. Thank you. Same to you. (laughs) All right. Uh, Take care and bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Adela Colvin, a very talented designer and a remarkable person. I'm so pleased she could join us on the show. Links to Adela's business as well as some of her other social media links and resources and some of the causes that she cares about that we talked about today will be posted in the show notes for this episode. And we're going to try to get those show notes up on fiberhooligan.com within the next day or so. I want to make sure that you know I'm eager to hear from you. You can email me questions, recommendations, critiques, and feedback at fiberhooligan at gmail.com. And that includes suggestions for guests or cool things you'd like me to highlight in the show. I don't promise to respond to every email or message, but I do promise to do my best to read them all. If you ask a really great question or have an inspired idea, I may even read your email on the podcast. I'd like to thank Adela for being on the show today. She was fantastic. I'd like to thank the XRX and Stitches crew for encouraging me to start this podcast again. I'd like to thank my partners and family, David, Elaine, and Alexis, for their support. I'd like to thank my dear wife, Krista, for always believing in me. I'd like to thank Libby Butler-Gluck for all her encouragement and help. And today I'd like to send an extra shout-out to my friend Shannon and Jason. And I wanted to say to you, Shannon, you are right. I do need a little time off. I hear you. And thank you, really, for your concern. And, of course, I'd like to thank all of you for listening. That's our show, Fiber Hogan's. As we slide on out here today, I'd like to wish you all a glorious week. Remember, the only thing better than being creative is being kind to each other. The good news, we can do both. Thank you for spending this time with us. I hope you'll join me next week for another edition of Barbara Lee.